In our final episode to mark 50 years since Title IX became law, we look at the future of civil rights around education and sports through families fighting for their kids' right to play. It's Friday, June 24th. For all the strides Title IX has brought for women in sports, a new battle has sprung up around who is allowed to compete. I'm Allison Glock, executive producer of W Studios. In part four of the documentary, 37 Words, filmmaker Claire Marish met several trans girls who longed to play sports, but faced firm resistance from school districts and state laws designed to exclude them. As their very right, not just to play, but to define their personhood is under attack, Claire reveals on film what happens when legislation limits what girlhood is on the field and off. Good afternoon, Claire. Hi. Thank you for joining us for our fourth and final chat about 37 Words and the last episode in the four-part series. Tell me about your participation in this particular episode. Um, Yeah, my biggest and most active piece was this story of what is happening for trans kids around the country in this kind of new frontier of, of Title IX law. Because in the last few years, there have been kind of a rash of bills at the state level that are requiring kids to participate in sports solely based on the gender assigned at birth. Georgia Senate passing today a bill to keep transgender students from playing school sports. The Texas Senate passed a controversial bill impacting transgender student athletes. Mississippi isn't the only state debating this issue. Idaho passed a bill banning transgender women from competing in women's sports last year. At least 26 states have now introduced similar bills, mostly in Republican-controlled state legislatures. But of course, when you start implementing a law across a state, you're impacting a lot more people. You know, for over a century, athletics has been a part of American education. Uh, And so we really wanted to dig into why that was and what it means to to deny that opportunity to, to certain kids. And in your pursuit of that story, you end up in Texas, which mm-hmm. is, you know, sort of on the forefront of pushing a lot of this legislation. Tell me what it was like to be there and to be there at this time when things are so volatile. Yeah, it was profound. We went to Texas in early of this year, kind of in weeks after Governor Abbott signed into law a bill that basically banned trans kids from participating in sports. Governor Greg Abbott signed a bill that requires transgender student athletes to play on sports teams based on their sex assigned at birth. Groups that opposed House Bill 25 say it limits transgender students' ability to play sports and is another example of anti-trans legislation. And we spent time with four families from the state, from all around the state, each of whom have uh, one transgender kid who will be deeply impacted by this and what's happened in Texas since. A few weeks after we got back from filming with these four families, Governor Abbott directed the state Department of Family and Protective Services to begin investigating parents who support their children and their transitions, who try to get them gender-affirming care. 
And so it's a really, really tense and difficult climate down there. And why I say it was profound was because these children are incredible and these families are incredible. In addition to doing interviews with the family members, we also had a day where we we gathered them all together and we were out in a park and we just like let the kids be kids and we played some sports and had some fun. Who's your goalie? And there was so much uh, joy there. Hmm. Uh, And it was uh, profound is the only word I have for it. I'm going to be the judge. We need a lawyer. We need another lawyer. Hey, we need a lawyer. We're Sunny. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm Ruth. I'm Ruth. Can I be Ruth? No, I'm I'm Ruth. Ruth. I I have a whole sculpture of her. I already have this. Order in court. It was so uh, incredible to see these kids together and to see their their spirits fiery and strong in the face of real opposition and real hate coming their way. And these are young kids. I mean, the, the youngest uh, kid we interviewed was eight years old. My pronouns are she and her. And I am eight years old. And it's way too much to ask of an eight-year-old, and yet she (laughs) takes it in stride. I started going to the Capitol because it wasn't fair for kids like it wasn't fair for kids like me. The other the other people wanted to treat us differently. I mean, it's not just Texas. There, by my count, at least twenty-five bills in various stages that limit or ban trans kids' participation in sports. Maybe there's more. It's hard to keep up. <laughs> so there's there's something about going through the prism of athletics that is gaining purchase in these arguments and in this discriminatory legislation. What do you think it is about trans kids playing sports that's so activating for, for people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it is. it has been as you say, it's been proven to be this profoundly impactful wedge, right? And why it is able to open that door, I think really comes back to, you know, how we all relate to sports, right? Like it's a deeply emotional thing for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think we've we've built a culture around that of whether it's the like Friday night lights football or baseball or whatever, we have this emotional tie. And so it is really easy to make people think that that's under threat. And looking at the history of Title IX, all of the the fear and the rhetoric, it is all about trans women competing in women's sports. And that is where the dividing line is. And you see long-time Title IX advocates who have been fighting for space for women in athletics and beyond in education for decades, really fearful of this new terrain and really feeling like the thing that they've fought their entire lives for is going to be taken away. And there's no statistical data that suggests that trans athletes perform better. So it is purely fear-based. It's not science-based, but that doesn't stop this legislation from catching on like wildfire. And as you said, opening the door to too far worse. I was going to talk a little bit about 
Leah Thomas, Mm -hmm. women's swimmer who competed in the NCAA championship. She's the swimmer who created shockwaves across the country. 23-year-old Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas pulling away. The UPenn swimmer making history in March as the first known transgender athlete to win a Division I national title. And how that, again, was very activating in the culture Mm -hmm. as a trans woman who is succeeding. But her athletic achievements on the women's swim team igniting fierce debate over fairness in women's sports. Did conversations around that come up in any of your interviews with other subjects in the documentary series? Yeah, it certainly came up. Uh, It was interesting. Like our, our kind of filming period allowed us to kind of track Leah Thomas's growing notoriety like in culture through our interviews. Like I remember some very early interviews where some of the people we spoke to who are not in support of full inclusion at without some mitigations, mm-hmm. such as uh, Donna DiVarona or uh, Donna Lopiano, one of them mentioned just an Ivy League swimmer mm. that they had some concerns about. And then kind of as Leah started to succeed, um, her profile got bigger and bigger, and then people would talk about it. And when we were interviewing people about other aspects of Title IX law, they would ask if we were covering it. And it became that, like, she became this national conversation in a way that I think is really emblematic of how outsized and like otherworldly this becomes. In reality, she was finishing her college career in a sport that's not like profoundly popular across the board, no offense to swimmers. <laughs> and she was incredibly successful. In the end, her, her times did not break all the records. She had won every race and broken every record. There would be all this discussion about how unfair it all is. And when she didn't, it was, you know, she was tanking or the pressures were getting to her, all these things. Like it became about all this stuff that isn't just the normal grind of being a competitive athlete. You win some, you lose some. (laughs) Right. That's so interesting and such a great point to make that when these things play out as they often do. And and to your point, most kids are not going to be college or pro athletes. So let's get back to the kids and the families that you met Mm -hmm. in in Texas. Tell me a little bit about that cast Mm -hmm. and the impact that just spending time with those families made on you and if it changed you in any way. I'll talk about the kids. Uh, Please. There's Adeline, who is in the eighth grade. My name is Adeline, and I am 13 years old. I like to be on TikTok, and I also like doing my makeup a lot, and I like going shopping with my mom. Adeline is uh, is a real kind of ringleader, and the oldest of the group really kind of guides the rest of them. They have been going to Austin, to the Texas Capitol for years to speak to representatives about Mm. these bills. I started going because my mom got an invite from Rachel and I was like, yes, we have to do it. Like, I can represent myself. I have a shot at using my voice. And we went. And ever since we've been going every time we get a chance. She is very close to Libby, who's a few years younger. Um, I'm Libby, and I'm 11 years old, and 
Um, I'm from Dallas, Texas. And Libby started going to the Capitol as a six-year-old when Texas first proposed a bathroom bill. And it's just, that was really the thing that hooked us and really made us want to talk to these kids was seeing their testimony where they just got up and said very clearly that they have a right to the same experience as every other kid. What makes me feel powerful is that I can um, send my message without having to just talk to representatives. I can like go on TV, like on the news that I can spread my message or like vulnerable means that um, like more people know who I am and it makes me feel kind of scared at the same time. And it's pretty profound to have, uh, you know, an eight or a 10 year old tell a bunch of adults that they are being bullied by them. And then there's Maya, who's our, our swimmer, who's also been going to the Capitol for several years with her mom, Lisa. So the first bill was called 1646. It was a, it was, it was a bill that would make my parents basically criminals. And they would, if they gave me like medicine to help me become more like a girl, they would go to jail for like 10 years. And I don't want my parents to go to jail for like 10 years because then they're not going to be able to raise me. And what's the point of having, not, not having parents if they're not going to raise you and, and be with you? That's just not nice. And so Maya did gymnastics for a while, uh, eventually quit when she learned that there was a rule with the, the organization that she was competing with that barred transgender kids from competing. I started doing gymnastics and I loved it. But like in second grade, uh, they were talking about going up to competitive gymnastics. And my mom told me that there she's this law that says like on the, on the, like thing, they say that you can't be like trans or because they think that you're, you have extra muscles and you can't compete in gymnastics. And so Maya realized that if she kept doing gymnastics with this team, most of the team did not know that she was trans, but if anyone found out, it would disqualify the whole team. So I realized that I would have to quit gymnastics for for my friends to actually still compete. Because if I break the role, then my whole team would be disqualified. So I decided to just quit gymnastics because I didn't want my other friends to have to leave gymnastics also. So yeah. So she, again, as a small child, made the decision that she wasn't gonna sacrifice the team and all their hard work. Uh, and she quit. When we return, more from the kids and families in Texas fighting for their right to play sports. Delicious meat nutritious. In the snack that packs of real protein punch, Wonderful Pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful Pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. 
And you, like me, are on the go a lot. Taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. And that's sort of a through line with all of the kids is that they're being forced to take on these adult conversations and, and be the better person when really what they should be doing is blowing bubbles and kicking soccer balls in the yard and, you know, swimming in the pool and having a good time and learning what it means to be a person in the world. And instead, you know, they're sort of having to be this representative for, you know, fairness and justice and equality. And did you get any sense that, you know, that was a strain on them? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, So when we started doing outreach, I kind of thought that maybe no one would talk to us. It had just been too hard. They were too tired. But instead, these families opened their doors right away. And that is not because they're not tired. They're exhausted and they're in a lot of pain. But I, I think it is fair to say that everyone who participated in this believes that it's going to serve their children in the end that to have more people see their kids as full, happy kids who are just trying to grow up and can understand them a little bit better and break down that otherness and the fear that comes from that. Um, I think that's absolutely why they participated in this. And with, with incredible risk. I mean, again, right now in Texas, they could be investigated if their neighbor calls up family services on them. So it was an enormous risk for them to even choose to, to be part of the series. To go back to your, to your original question was really like the impact on the kids. I will say, well, two things. I think that you really do see the toll that it takes. Um, you know, Adeline and Libby are older than uh, Maya and Sunny and have been doing this for longer. And there is not a, not a fatigue. They still... They're really passionate about being advocates. And in fact, Adeline wants to become a state legislator when she grows up. That would be so cool. I like run for Congress or something or to be a representative of state. That would be amazing. That's what I want to go to school for, actually. So like they are very committed to this fight, but they're not naive. You know, Sunny is mom kind of talked about how she she went to the Capitol for several years and Sunny, who is eight, just started going this year. I was very nervous about the Capitol stuff because I thought, well, what if she just freezes up or what if she gets sick or whatever? And she was just like calm, cool, smooth. Um, I asked her like, why, you know, were you nervous? And she's like, no, not really. She stood in front of all adults and spoke clearly and loud and took her time and hit the words right, you know, all those things. Like, uh, so she's, you know, incredibly brave. And they've been really thoughtful and careful about when they go and when they think that the there'll be more supporters versus opponents in the room because her family's very conscious that having Sunny do this, which again, she so wants to do, 
um, and really is speaking her truth also allows her to see the opposition clearly allows her to see that there are people out there who are really distrustful and judgmental of her. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I try to think about how, how you could even possibly navigate raising your kid in that, in that environment. One of the things that's so artfully handled in the film is the, is the normalcy that you present. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how anyone interacting with these kids, either at the court or just in life. I mean, Sonny, for example, is this like whimsical, <laughs> athletic, you know, long blonde hair, you know, cherubic face, just like the name says it all, just like this like bouncing ray of sunshine. And, you know, the, the notion that there are grown adults making it their mission to stamp out Sonny's joy and potential is, is really mind-boggling. You know, when you watch, watch these kids just like literally running around a park. And I'll, I'll just say that it was really, it was really intentional for us. Like we always knew we were going to bring the whole group together and kind of do this park day. These families have really formed a group. So we really wanted to show that there was a group pushing for radical change and that they found support in each other. And it was really, really important to me to show joy. And it's true that, every, that there's like a lot of bleakness, but these kids are not bleak. And it really started to feel incredibly important that we show that, that we show that they are still full kids with a lot of joy and that that cannot be broken down so easily. It can be broken down, but not so easily. And the sheer fact that they get to be together and they get to play with their siblings. It was very important that we got all the kids together, show the whole families together, again, to just kind of break down that otherizing and, and show them as full kids who are happy and joyful and dreamy, you know, can really see a future for themselves. That started to feel kind of like a radical act uh, in service of, of the cause. Yeah, and I think what's so vital about the, the story that you're telling in this community is that there is a perception at large, um, you know, being echoed everywhere <laughs> from, from uh, authors to comedians that being trans is trendy or trans is a, a choice. To me, if you see these families and especially the parents and the journey they had to take to their own understanding, um, you would never make that sort of flip argument again. When you watch the parents have that light bulb moment, you know, or have that reckoning that their kid is their kid is their kid, it seems like that should be something that folks that aren't in that family should be able to do. <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel that at some point in any parent's life, they're going to see their child reveal themselves to them, right? Like that, like growing up is a process of a child being revealed for who they are. And that can happen in, in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, one thing I would like to know is just to emphasize what a small percentage of, of, this pop, of the population that we're talking about here. I found some, I found a stat from like 2016 that was basically saying in the adult population of the U.S., I believe, it was like 0.6% of people. Right. So an incredibly small population. And I will say, you know, in these 
kind of athletic ban started to pass, journalists would ask the governors, do you even know, or the state representatives, like, do, do you even know if there are any trans kids who are now going to be barred from sports? It is, it is very much kind of manufactured. Like there's no crisis here. I mean, in 2018, there were, like according to the Human Rights Campaign, there were like about 40 anti-LGBTQ bills in state legislatures, and there have been over 300 this year already. That seems like a lot of energy toward a very small and completely non-threatening population. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what makes what you guys achieved in that episode all the more meaningful. You've made it undeniable. You were, you're very, very clever <laughs> in making that uh, community and the opposite of division just unimpeachable and, and doing it, as you said, via, via joy. You can't, you can't look at Sonny and not smile, to be honest. I mean, that kid is magnetic. I know. A shooting star. I like baseball because I'm, I really like hitting, I really like running around all the bases and hitting the ball. And <clears throat> most of all, I just like having fun. I think it's important to also remember that from safer haven places like Brooklyn, New York, <laughs> where I am, you can look at Texas and think, well, why are these people even there anymore? But these families have very supportive communities around them. By and large, um, these families don't want to leave because they feel at home there and they feel accepted where they are in their communities. You know, these kids have been living their lives for as long as they have been safely and happily. And now a small force, a small but very loud and powerful force is trying to push them out. After the break, the power of participating in sports and why so much focus on winning misses the point. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. I do want to touch on one thing about this argument that I don't want to have 
get lost. And that's that when kids play sports, it's so good for them, <laughs> especially mm-hmm. for girls, because it's it, it sets you up for success in life because it helps you redefine your relationship to your body and physicality because it shows you windows into your power you didn't know you had. All of those things start as a girl playing playing sports. And, you know, it's it's very strange to me that there would be so much interest in denying other children that opportunity to have all of that growth and experience. It's a genuine loss. It's not as simple as Maya can't swim anymore or be on the gymnastics mm-hmm. team anymore. You know, that that's bad. But when you think about the long-term loss there of all the skill sets, all of the teamwork and all of the team building and just everything that comes in that package being denied, that to me is profoundly, profoundly sad. Yeah, really for me, just like the question in my head was like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, you know, fundamentally, what are we doing here? Because I do think like we made a choice in America a long time ago to make sports part of education. I welcome this opportunity to speak to the people of America about a subject which I believe to be most important, and that is the subject of physical fitness. And I speak not only as president, but also as a parent of two children. And not every country does that, but we did. And I hope when we have seen the astonishing results which we have seen from our work in a few schools across the country, to change the physical habits and strength of our children, that this will spread to every school district in the United States. And I think that in in many ways, (laughs) it's it's like kind of its own conversation in the ways that that ideal has been kind of morphed and corrupted through the way we've treated sports in education, certainly at the collegiate level. And I feel like this particular issue kind of throws a mirror on that. You know, it really asks people like, why do we do this? And if we do this, if we say that athletics is an important part of developing a whole person, then how can we deny it? Because then it's not about winning. It's about all the other things. That's why it's an educational tool. (laughs) What I think is most crazy about it is that we all kind of know that it's effective, right? From our own experience, because most of us had that experience And myself, you know, I played sports, played throughout my childhood and became solidly mediocre by high school, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, But it gave me so much. Like I was not the most engaged kid. I was uh, incredibly shy. Like every good teenager was totally over it, was not invested in going to school. And I joined the softball team and eventually became the captain of the softball team. And it got me to go to school. And it developed my confidence and it developed my leadership skills. And I'm so grateful. And I don't think I even like really realized that consciously until doing this project, just how much Title IX gave me (laughs) personally. Did your mother um, introduce (laughs) you to to Title IX? She did. I do have to give her her credit for this. My mom finished high school in the mid-70s, and so Title IX had recently been passed and wasn't fully enacted, and therefore she did not have a lot of athletic opportunity, and she had always known it as a sports law. So being a kid who played sports, I swear, every game that she came to of mine, she would say, you have this because of Title IX. 
like Title IX gave this to you. People fought for this. <laughs> and you have this opportunity, like very explicitly, to the point that like it was a revelation to me when, we, when I started working on this series that like so many people actually don't know what Title IX is. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, your mom didn't tell you like three times a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So you were you were bathed in in the legislation from from the jump. Yeah. And particularly the sports part because I think you know she remembered standing on the half of blacktop that the girls were allowed to stand on and watching the boys on the other side play basketball and beyond that them playing football in the field and she remembered that being denied to her very clearly and I think she therefore was just so delighted to be able to watch her daughter not have any of those barriers. You know, you've touched on a little, but I just want to get a little more explicit um, around this particular conversation that because it's been so challenging to fight for any space at all, it seems more threatening to have any little piece of that space than impinged upon. I, I think that that is true. I mean, I'm certain like there there's a faction here that just does not want trans people in the world, right? But then there's a faction of people driven largely by female athletes who are trying to protect a space that they have fought for their entire lives and were denied for a very long time. Like we needed Title IX. I think that there are people who are afraid of inclusion, at least at the highest levels, like when you're talking about tier one colleges and like Olympics, who are coming to it, coming to this as former athletes. And it is, it is like a weird twist on what the trans experience might be, right? Like no one is going to transition to win a sport. Like that's <laughs> not, that's not going to happen. But <laughs> then there's this new thing that comes in trans kids you respond with the history you have. Uh, and I feel like we will never get out of this debate, specifically around inclusion in athletics, if we don't really reframe off the winning. There's two things to say about that. And one is that, as you eloquently put it before, most of us aren't winners we're just we're just hanging out with our friends and and learning life skills through sport and that's that's the majority of of an athletic experience and the other thing is that argument disintegrates if you just accept that trans girls are girls mm-hmm. and they are not something else and there's you know science to support all of this and there's every statistic you can name and you can show that trans athletes lose as often as they win. And, you know, you shouldn't have to do any of that if you can just accept the the fundamental human thing, which is that trans girls are girls and trans women are women. Yeah. The debate has just become so manipulated, right? Like if it's about winning, like if all, if we play sports so that someone can dominate and someone can get the trophy, then all sorts of people should be excluded because they're not good enough, right? And if that's not why we're doing this, then there should be no discussion about who gets to be on the field. Agreed. Maybe you could describe for me 
What was the most magical moment for you during the filmmaking process? I mean, I, I was tearful a lot of that weekend, the shoot in Texas. These families were so open with us and open with their pain. Uh, and it was just in the room with us. And uh, again, being from my sweet, safe apartment in Brooklyn, New York, and the, the safety of all my privilege as a cisgender white woman, my own safety was, was so acutely apparent and the lack of safety for them was so acutely apparent and it just uh, broke my heart and reiterated just how strong and brave they are to keep putting their stories out there. And how, you know, vital and important it is for those stories to be told in such a gorgeous way as you were able to achieve. So thanks again for having this chat, bringing this to our attention in this gorgeous series of 37 words. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful to have been able to be a part of it. And I can't wait to meet your mother. (laughs) She's wonderful. (laughs) I'm Allison Glock, and you can watch the documentary series 37 Words about 50 years of Title IX streaming now on ESPN+, Hulu, and Disney+. Our show was produced by Eve Tro and Aaron Vale with help from the entire ESPN Daily team. Bradford Craig, Alexander Hyacinth, Mike Johns, Ryan Nantel, Mike Philbrick, Andy Tennant, and Chris Tuminello. Special thanks this week to Julia Faust, Christine Malia, Alexandria Cooper, Andre Soto, Ty Reeves, Jalen Harris, and Jackson Agilo. Pablo will talk to you Monday.